You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Let's pray, church. Father, right now, this weekend, being called Thanksgiving weekend, there is no greater truth to be thankful for than the reality that Jesus Christ died on the cross that we might be forgiven of our sins. I pray, Lord, every heart, every man, woman, child right now Lord, would understand in a new and fresh way or be reminded, Lord, of the reality and the joy of what it means to be called a child of God. And I pray that each heart here, Lord, has either given their lives and faith to Jesus Christ to be forgiven or right now, Lord, be struck with the truth that by grace through faith we have been saved because Jesus Christ took on the wrath of God. He bore the punishment for our sins. He became our propitiation. He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that God loves, from the power of Satan to the power of God, from darkness to light, from death to life, Lord, from being lost to being found. This is what we are thankful for today. This is the truth that overcomes all other trials and all other circumstances in life. It's the truth that has set us free. It's the truth that can never be taken from us. It's the truth that will last for all of eternity. The truth that was found and given to us at the cross of Jesus Christ who died for us, who died for you, who died for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for granting us life for those who have said yes to the gift. And I pray, Lord, that theme of thanksgiving would carry now and forevermore in our lives, O Lord, to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. And you may be seated, I pray, with great gratitude today. And as you're seated, please find a Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter Three, Proverbs chapter 3, and indeed a happy Thanksgiving to you all and to anyone who is a guest here with us today, a special happy Thanksgiving and welcome to you as well, praying you will be blessed and have been blessed already. Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to be reading a couple of verses as we get started today together and then we will work our way towards Proverbs uh, 3. But in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll just read this for you, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, and this verse really sets up our entire message today as we seek to gain wisdom on this very important issue. Jesus said, Matthew 6 verse 24, no one can serve two masters. No one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus said this, you cannot serve God and money. The last phrase is the most important. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear about these things. He's not leaving questions in our minds. He says it right there, you cannot serve God and money. 
Now, the reason that Jesus spent more time talking about money than heaven and hell combined, and to my understanding, the only issue Jesus talked about more than money itself was the kingdom of God. The reason Jesus talked about money and finances so much is because Jesus was perfectly wise. And Jesus being perfectly wise, he knew this. He knew that one of the greatest temptations of the human heart would be the temptation to worship and love money. The love of money is a powerful and destructive thing. It will find cracks in the best of intentions. It will corrupt and twist the heart that once desired good. The Bible tells us today the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money can take down a man or woman of God faster than you can imagine. Why? Because at its root, it's a battle for the heart. And if the heart goes after idolatry and the worship of money, the heart then moves away from God. The heart then becomes corrupted and the heart is no longer fruitful or useful for the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus takes it so seriously. That's why we must take it seriously as well. See, the problem with our heart is our heart is an idol factory. Our heart is a factory that produces idols all the time. And the love of money is often at the top of the production list of the idols that come from the factory, again, of idols within our heart. R.A. Torrey, a great man of God, was a good friend of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, fantastically used of God in his time. Torrey wrote an article on seven reasons why D.L. Moody was used by God. One of the seven reasons that Torrey reports that he believes D.L. Moody was used by God, quote, D.L. Moody had a total freedom from the love of money. One of the foremost reasons he was used was that... He, Moody was not held or distracted by the bondage of loving money too much or making an idol of it. He was completely free from this and again was not distracted by it. What this becomes an example of, if you and I want to be used of God to any degree, money cannot be your love. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. The reason the rich young ruler went away sorrowful from the presence of Christ was that he could not detach himself with what he truly loved, his money. You cannot serve God and money. Loved ones, the point of today is really this. If you and I are going to live a life of wisdom, then we must gain wisdom on the issue pertaining to money. Listen, the wise person understands this. Wisdom, biblical wisdom regarding money is worth more than money itself. See, that's wisdom. Wisdom understands that the wisdom regarding money itself is worth more than money itself. You must believe this. I must believe this if we want to see effectiveness and fruitfulness in our lives for Christ. We're not surprised then how much Jesus talked about this, how much Proverbs has to say about the issue of money. Upwards of 70 verses on income and wealth and how we are to deal with finances in the fear of God. Proverbs does not pull any punches, which means we need unusually receptive hearts. And here's one of the things, as we go into a series or a message of wisdom for the money hungry in our society where this issue is so pervasive, it's it's killing so many people, it's it's, it's really the modus operandi of, of our entire society is really fueled by a craving for greater wealth or stuff or materialism. We have to understand this, Proverbs 21 verse 2, I'll just read it for you. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. So we have to put our ways aside. And we have to understand God weighs the heart. Now whenever I go into an issue like this too or a message like this, there are always people that whether or not they'd ever admit it, 
in their hearts they're saying, you can't talk to me about my money. You can't talk to me about my money. It's my money. I'd say, you're right, you're right. Today, God is gonna talk to you about his money. And there's a big difference. There's a very big difference. The person filled with wisdom understands the foolish person does not. God is gonna speak today through his word and God's gonna talk to you about the money that is all his anyways. So we're seeking wisdom. Wisdom for the money hungry. We have three points today. Let's start with this. Number one is this. The priority of money, honor the Lord. The priority of money is to honor the Lord. Now we're at Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Such a great verse, again, setting up what we want to do right now. We want to see who we want to be. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The first phrase is most important. Ready? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Behind the word honor is the meaning of heavy or weighty. In this context, it is um, worthy of praise or impressive. So hear what the Bible is saying here. Honor the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. Worship the Lord. The one who is, who is who's weighty in, in worth and, and, and due of praise and, and deserves to be honored because only the Lord God Almighty is, is really true greatness. Only He is majestic. And because God is great and because God is holy and because God holds majesty like no one else, then our right response to the Lord then is worship. Our right response to the only one who deserves this is worship. Our right response is honor. Our right response is glory to God. And what's so interesting here within this verse then, and not to mention convicting, and hear me here and hear God here, one of the ways that we prove we worship the Lord, one of the ways we prove we honor the Lord, one of the ways we prove we give glory to the Lord with our life is when we honor Him with our wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Again, not a suggestion, but a command in the text. We worship God. We prove we honor God by how we handle his finances through our lives. Now, to the ungodly right now, or to the immature, this idea of honoring the Lord with our wealth can be irritating. And it's irritating to the person who hears this who's ungodly or immature. Here's why it's irritating. Because it's where your heart is not. So again, in love I have to do this today. I don't love you if I don't do this. If you're sitting here through this message and you're finding excuses or rationalizing or even anger at what's being said to you, it's because I'm poking at what you truly worship. Because pastor's got the word of God right now and he's opened up your treasure box and he's starting to flip through some of the things that you really, really desire and the moment someone goes after that, you get away from that, get away from that. And if your heart's doing that, I'm, I'm just telling you in love, that is the clearest sign that I'm starting to get at the things that you really hold most dear. And the ungodly and the immature, they will react that way. Get away from it, get away from it. But to the godly and to the mature in Christ, the command to honor the Lord with your wealth, it's a delight. It's a privilege because they understand, they get it. They get it. This is worship. This is how I honor him. This is how I give him glory as one part through my life. To honor the Lord with my wealth is truly an act of worship. 
When the priority of money is the Lord, that's the fear of God in our lives. It gives him glory. When the priority of money is the Lord, that's an indicator I fear the Lord. When offering is taken each weekend, the wise person understands this is an act of worship. It's my chance to prove I honor the Lord with this part in my life. And what's most important here, and I love this point so much, we learn here from Scripture. When true spiritual transformation occurs, listen, listen. When true spiritual transformation occurs, financial transformation must also occur. When true spiritual transformation occurs, when the heart is turned over, true financial transformation must take place as well. The rich young ruler is an example of when that doesn't work. There wasn't true spiritual transformation. Jesus knows that. He confronts him with his idol of money. At that point, he then turns and he leaves Christ because he's not willing to part with his money. He loves money more than Christ. Financial transformation is an indicator of the reality of salvation. An example in a good light from the Gospels is Zacchaeus. Short little Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. He sees Jesus, he's all excited. Jesus knows what's happening within his life. He sees Zacchaeus come down, I want to go to your house today. Zacchaeus comes down in that moment, somewhere in there. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was rich. Zacchaeus was even defrauding people because he was so obsessed with accumulating wealth. Jesus knows all this from some time when, Zac- when, when Zacchaeus came down from the tree and greeted Jesus. At some point there, we have to believe he was transformed in heart, that he was brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because at that point, the first response of Zacchaeus from the greeting of Jesus as his sin is confronted the first thing Zacchaeus says to Jesus is this, this is amazing behold Lord the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything I will restore it fourfold that's amazing the first thing Zacchaeus says in light of greeting Jesus and seeing Jesus is like Lord I've messed up financially but everything I now I'll give back everything I've done wrong all this is yours Lord I, re- I, re- I restore it to where it should be and you know what Jesus responds to Zacchaeus' first response, Jesus says, this is, this, is, this is amazing. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come to this house. Think what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, the heart of Zacchaeus has been transformed. The finances of Zacchaeus has been transformed as an indicator that salvation has truly taken place within the life of Zacchaeus. That is awesome. Because that's the way it works. True spiritual transformation will lead to true heart transformation. Where there's true heart transformation, there must also be true financial transformation. And why is this true? Because where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Loved ones, we cannot serve God and money. We cannot do it. As we think about this truth then, the giving statistics across North America are very discouraging. Here's what Ron Sider says about this. And just in light of what we're talking about, I mean, just, just, just think about this, the heart of believers. Ron Sider says, and this is pretty blunt, he says, for Christians in the richest nation, it's written from a U.S. perspective, Canada's included within this for sure too. For Christians in the richest nation in history to be giving only 2.43% of their income to their churches is not just stinginess, it is biblical disobedience, he says, blatant sin. We've become so seduced by the pervasive consumerism and materialism of our culture that we, listen to this, that we hardly notice the ghastly disjunction disjunction between our incredible wealth and the agonizing poverty in the world. Over the last 40 years, listen, American Christians have grown progressively richer but have given a smaller and smaller percent of our growing income to the ministries of the churches. 
Such behavior flatly contradicts what the Bible teaches about God, justice, and wealth. He ends it by saying, we should not be giving 2.4%, but 10%, 15%, even 25 to 35% or more to kingdom work. Most of us could give 20% and not be even close to poverty. And of course he's right. What does that say? What does that say about the heart? And amazingly, we grow richer, giving gets smaller. Crazy. We've got to look at our hearts. What's happening is many people are trying to serve God and money. They're trying to do both. We cannot do that. You're either a slave to money or you're a slave to God. There's no in between. John Calvin said this, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. When the influence of money increases, listen, the authority of God decreases. So maybe right now you're looking genuinely at this situation in your heart and you're like, man, like already you know i got to change. My priorities have to change. What do I do? You look at Proverbs 3, verse 9. This is the place to start. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, honor and first fruits always go together. Think about it. When you honor someone, you give them your best. When you honor someone, you give them first. That's the point of honor. They're first. You give them your best. They don't get leftovers. Honor the Lord with your wealth. God cannot receive our leftovers of what's his in the beginning at first. God must get first share. God must get best share because he's God. This is such an important part of our worship. This is where we prove how we honor him or where our heart is really at as it relates to our treasure. So honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your produce. What does that mean? You honor God the first hour of your day. You honor God the first day of your week. You honor God, yes, with the first check you write. Yes, 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 yes. The first check you write is to the Lord. That's honor him. He's the best. He's the one worthy. He's the one who deserves all praise and glory. I prove that with my voice. I prove that with my life. I prove that with my wallet. It has to be this way. There are no exceptions. This is how we prove we honor and glorify the Lord. I mean, here's the thing. If we're coming to church and we're throwing in a couple of bucks into the plate, and yet in the week we're spending 50 to 100 bucks on Starbucks... Understand this, we are giving more to the kingdom of Starbucks than to the kingdom of God. That, loved ones, is insane. That is absolutely theologically crazy in my mind. That is so wrong. That is so, dis- it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And it's happening, though. It's happening across our continent. It cannot be. I mean, just think about that long enough. It cannot be. I'm giving more to the kingdom of Starbucks than the kingdom of God. No, 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 Lord. Makes me want to cry just saying it. It's so wrong. It really does make me want to cry. The hearts need to be transformed into understanding what matters in life. God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. He wants your heart. And those who get this with wisdom, they want to pursue him. And look what it says in verse 10 of chapter 3. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Notice, not a promise of prosperity, but it is a promise of provision. It is a promise of provision as the Lord decides. The New Testament equivalent, 2 Corinthians 9. You will reap what you sow. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. 
If you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. How does that work? God, God's the one who makes all grace will abound to you. The grace of provision for what you need, the grace of love in your life, the grace of things that don't break down when they should, whatever that means, God's grace will abound to the person in the context of giving generously in their finances. God promises that all grace will abound. Again, how? I don't know. God decides. But he promises to deliver on his promises. But if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. I know at least for, for Jill and myself that our hardest, hardest financial times is when we were giving the least. Absolutely, 100%. You just trace it through our, through our marriage. You start trusting the Lord, what he says to trust him with, to honor him with the first fruits. It's amazing how the Lord grows you through that and how he comes through and how he comes through. The priority of our money is to honor the Lord. Hey, is, is this happening? Is this happening? Why? Be, because you love God. Because you worship God. Because you glorify God. Do you see? Do you see the heart of this? Do you see the heart of wisdom? It proves we honor him more than we honor ourselves. Wisdom understands this. Here's point number two. The danger of money or the peril of money, it can capture the heart. The danger of the love of money is that it can capture the heart greatly. I'm going to put on the screen here a verse from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Check this out. It says, but those who, and I want to put this verse up because it's one of the best descriptions in the Bible of what can happen with the love of money. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare. I mean, just, I think of a snare, man. I think of a, a big trap just ready to snap down our legs and just cause us sitting there in pain and suffering into a snare into many sense, senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow. I mean, again, the Bible's not wasting words here. Those who desire to be rich, temptation, a harmful desires plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice, it's not money itself. Money itself is not evil. It's the love of money. It's the worship of money that's evil. Money itself is just, what is it? It's a piece of paper. It's a couple of coins. But it's the adoration of money, the, the, the worship of money, the idolatry of money. That's the problem. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, craving, craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is dangerous. It can capture the heart and it captures the heart. It takes away, again, the blessing and the fruit of our lives in the Lord. The danger is very clear. Let's look at Proverbs now to understand specific ways that money can be a hazard. The love of money can be a hazard in our lives. Uh, here's the first one, the first hazard. And I'll put these up on the screen beside me as well. The first hazard is this, burdensome debt. You watch out if you love money too much because that will find yourself into burdensome debt. Turn to Proverbs 22, uh, verse 7. Proverbs 22, uh, verse 7. Says this. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, the meaning behind rules over here is to have power or to have authority over someone. The point here is not comparing the rich to the poor, but the reality or the burden of excessive boring. 
The key phrase in this verse is the borrower is the slave of the lender. This explains a huge danger of the love of money. I don't think you can take God's word with integrity and say emphatically debt itself is a sin. I don't think you can do that. I think what you can do with the Bible is you can teach on debt that the Bible says debt can be dangerous. Debt can certainly be foolish. Debt can be excessive and debt can be entirely unnecessary. That's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom sees when debt is dangerous. Wisdom sees when debt is foolish. Wisdom sees when debt is excessive. And wisdom sees when debt is unnecessary. And wisdom avoids it then at all costs because of the danger that it causes within our lives. When we are in debt to someone, in essence, we become their slaves. The reason this is true then, because we come under their control. When we are in debt to someone, we have forfeited freedom on some level. When you owe people a bunch of money, you are indebted to them, they have power over you. So the Bible here is giving a large warning as to the realities of assuming debt. It's a burden that is guaranteed. I've always marveled at the very root of the word mortgage is death grip. More and get it is. Whether it was intended in the old English to say that, that's the root of it now, and that's fascinating to me. Death grip. The burdensome reality of debt in our lives, especially when it's excessive and foolish and unnecessary. Do you know Canadians per capita are reported to have the second highest household debt to income ratio in the world? That means that Canadians owe $1.63 for every $1 of disposable income they earn. By contrast, 10 years ago, Canadians owned $1 for every dollar of disposable income. And in 1980, Canadians owned 66 cents for every dollar of disposable income. The trend is not going in the right direction. What is that revealing? It's revealing the heart of idolatry. The love of money and the love of stuff. We cannot discipline ourselves to not purchase what we cannot afford. Canada's total mortgage debt stood at just over $1.1 trillion the first quarter of this year. And consumer credit debt reached $500 billion at the end of the first quarter of this year. The Bible says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. What is this an appeal for? This is an appeal for wisdom today, loved ones. That's what it is. It's an appeal for wisdom. Lord, help us to wise up. We will not win. We will not win as we allow debt to just cover and bury us over. And as we love things and love stuff, we will not win. The foolish pursue this. Some of you are here right now and you're like, I am buried. Stewardship 101, you heard that announcement today. Stewardship 101 is a course designed to help you be freed from debt and to move on the principles of godly living that you may honor the Lord with the wealth that he has entrusted to you. I'd sign up today. Stewardship 101 to say, you want to go your whole life in this way? The anxiety, the stress on your marriage, the burden that it is, the fear that you, the sleep that you lose. I mean, over money, God help us. God help us. The hazard of love of money is burdensome debt. Here's the second hazard, greed. Of course, greed. Proverbs 15, verse 27. Proverbs 15, verse 27. Says, 15, verse 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. 
but he who hates bribes will live. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. This verse speaks of greed and specifically greed in combination with unjust gain. It's not surprising then how many in verses and Proverbs condemn illegal activity or unjust gain as it relates to money. I counted 16 different verses in Proverbs that speaks this truth. So wisdom right now is listening to the word. Wisdom is hearing and understanding that integrity and money are so important to God. Integrity and money are so important to the Lord. Proverbs 20, I'll read it for you. Proverbs 20, 23. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. The love of money, loved ones, will tempt you towards unjust gain. Be very, very careful in this area. Again, the vast majority of the system of our world operates in the premise of greed and will take money no matter what. Integrity doesn't matter. And unjust gain. Remember this too. In Revelation, one of the main reasons that Jesus Christ comes to destroy the system of evil represented in Babylon and Revelation 18, the two main reasons that Jesus were the end of the world, the end of the world and the opposition to Jesus himself, the two main sins are listed, sexual immorality and luxurious living. Sexual immorality, you can read it, Revelation 18. Sexual immorality and luxurious living. There is an obsession with our world to accumulate for self in unjust gain and greed to gather, to gather, to gather for the pride of man and the selfishness and self-indulgence of our luxuries. When you read that, if you're like me, you do not want to be that person. You do not want to be associated with Babylon of all things. As Jesus comes to judge the entire world at that point, for those things, the church of all people should look entirely different. The church of all people should be giving to the kingdom of the Lord, not to the evil kingdom of this world. Watch out for for burdensome debt. Watch out for greed. Watch out for this wickedness, wickedness. Wickedness happens when we love money too much. We are tempted towards wickedness. Proverbs 10, verse 2. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2 says, you can turn, listen, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. Proverbs 10, verse 2, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Bible is telling us If we gain wealth through sin or wickedness, we think it will profit. They will never actually fulfill that promise or never fulfill that truth because it's not truth. They appear to hold value. They do not. One of the supreme examples of treasure gained by wickedness in the Bible is Judas Iscariot. And just think about this. He sells out the Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver. And he, he literally could not live with this to the point he took his own life. I don't blame him. He sells out the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. Wickedness. Wickedness will not profit. Watch out. We love money too much. We're tempted to do things maybe we we never thought we would do. And here's the fourth hazard I want to bring to your attention. Misguided trust. Do not trust in money. It will let you down every single time. Proverbs 11, verse 28. Proverbs 11, verse 28 says... Whoever trusts in riches will fall. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. But notice, the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. 
So every day we are tempted in our world to place trust in riches. I am and so are you. Every day we are tempted by our world, because that's all the world ever tells us. Trust in riches, trust in riches. If we trust in riches, we will fall. The parable of the rich fool was this. The rich fool is going along. He has much wealth. He's doing great. He has so much, he needs a plan for storage. He needs a plan to store all the excess. By the way, Canada is second in the world leading in storage systems. So he built bigger barns, and then he chilled and wanted to enjoy life. Jesus told the parable. Here's how Jesus ends the parable in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says this, But God said to him, Fool! Fool! This night, your souls are your souls. See, this, this is what matters the most. Like, like our souls. Like where are our souls at? This night, your souls required of you, and the things, the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Fool! So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Treasure for yourself, foolishness. Rich toward God, wisdom. Jesus says this, fool! Bigger barns, eat, drink, and be merry. This night your soul is required of you. All the things you gathered, whose will they be? Randy Elkhorn says this, he says, Storing up earthly treasures isn't simply wrong. It's just plain stupid. He's right. Like theologically, that is absolutely precise. Storing up earthly treasures isn't just wrong. It's stupid. Wisdom says, I want to be rich toward God. Wisdom says, the love of money kills me. Wisdom understands the love of money kills wisdom in my life. So this is very important as we talk about these very important issues of the heart. This message is about the heart above all things. It's the heart. It's, I cannot serve God and money. So we talk about the danger of the love of money. Let's go through. Here are five warning signs. I love money. Five warning signs on the screen beside me too and behind me. Five warning signs. I love money. Number one, I will get money at all costs or I want money at all costs. That's a warning sign, obviously, that I am in the danger of loving money. So what does this mean? It means that money is the motivation. It is my motivation, and whatever it takes to get it, I will do. Uh, This means that people who love money in this way, laws, they're just optional. Corners, uh, they're meant to be cut. And honesty, well, that's a matter of opinion. Be very, very careful when you start rationalizing behaviors that are flat-out sinful. Here's the second warning, I love money. I never have enough. I never have enough. Truth be told, I'm not content. This person says, I simply want more and I will justify why I need more. Careful this too. This person says this, I've told myself in the past that when I get to here, I'll be good. But the reality is I lied, I want more. Here is not good enough. I said, when I get to this point financially, I'll be good. That'll be enough but I lied. I want more. Here's the third sign that I love money. I like to flaunt my money. I want people to notice my clothes. I want people to notice my jewelry. I want people to notice the car I drive. I want people to notice my house. And I will spend more than I make so that I can keep up an identity of wealth and carry on an image that impresses other people. That statement makes me want to throw up. This is a sign, though, that I love money. I like to flaunt it. Fourth sign, I love money too much. I easily spend on self, but I hardly give to others. 
This is the person who says, I have no problem dropping a couple hundred bucks on myself all the time. But when someone asks me for a small amount, especially someone in great need, I have a very hard time giving it to them. I mean, just, just think about your heart in that way, how easily it is to drop money on whatever you want. The new gadget, the new thing, the new phone, the new piece of clothing, the new next next. But when someone comes up and asks you for 10 bucks, donate to someone, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, whoa, my budget's really tight. Watch your heart. Watch your heart. Here's the fifth sign I love money. I will sin to get more money. I will sin. I will just sin. What does that look like? So many things. Um, I will lie on tax returns. Why? Because I want more money. I will sin to do it. Um, I abuse expense uh, accounts at work. I abuse ex- expense accounts just because in, the, in reality, I just, I, I just want more. I steal from my workplace. Big or small. Now, now hear this, when it comes down to it, I compromise on biblical principles. I will compromise what I know honors God. I will compromise on biblical principles simply because I want more money. What does that reveal? That reveals in our lives that we truly love money more than God. That's what that reveals. It's a hard truth, but it's a very important truth today. I love you with truth today. Because this is a battle for the heart. Loved ones, watch out, watch out, watch out. Watch out. Wisdom runs away from the love of money because the love of money is very dangerous. The priority of money, the perils of money, and now this, the protection against the love of money, number three, is generosity. The protection against the love of money is generosity. Now, true protection against loving money starts with, I fear God. When I fear God, I gain wisdom. When I have wisdom, I want to be generous with what God has entrusted me with. The person of wisdom sees the hazard of loving money and again runs. They they take action in the opposite direction. One of the best actions against the love of money is generosity. Proverbs 11, we're still there. Proverbs 11, verse 24. Notice, verse 24, Proverbs 11. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Beautiful verse. One gives freely, Proverbs 11, verse 24, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Here we find the amazing principle of generosity. So what does generosity do? It attacks the love of money. Notice, it's the person who gives freely, who gives cheerfully. At the very same time, the generous person, the Bible says, grows all the richer. Now, how often do we see, not always, but often we see the individuals that God entrusts with the most wealth are those who can be entrusted to give away the most as well. Not always, but often that is the case that we see with people. And so much we don't even understand. We think people who are wealthy, they're not, and people who look like they're not, they are. And they're giving and giving and giving. And God can entrust them with an abundance because he knows their heart will not be taken by it. But the reverse is true as well. Verse 24, the person who withholds, the person who hoards, the person who is selfish, they are promised to only suffer want. That could explain a lot in our lives right now. Critical question time. Would you classify yourself as someone who gives freely or someone who withholds? The irony here, the amazing truth of this, again, if you clench your fist on the things that God has entrusted you with and you only hold for self, you will find yourself lacking. If you trust the Lord, the one place in the Bible God says, test me. If you open your hands, it's his anyways, and you release this, and you test God to see if he will come through, 
and you allow your heart to love the Lord more than money and you stop worshiping these things and we allow ourselves to give and give, we will see, we will see what God will do with that. We will be tested as well and it will take faith. But I pray, I promise that we will be blessed in that as well. John Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. When a man becomes a Christian, he becomes industrious, trustworthy, and prosperous. Now if that man, when he gets all he can and saves all he can, does not give all he can, listen, listen, he says, I have more hope for Judas Iscariot than for that man. Wow. Here's my appeal to you two right now on wisdom. I look around this world right now, man. This world, I don't know, man. I'm not making any prophetic statements right now. I'm just saying, I mean, if you look at your Bible, I read through Revelation yesterday. I, mean, just, I, just, I just got into that kind of mood and I was looking at stuff. I'm looking around the different events. I mean, if you, if you cannot look across this world right now and see things like uncertainty, fragility, urgency. I mean, if you can't look across this world and see like pandemic diseases and to, and to see the reality of wars and to see the instability of economies. I mean, if you can't look at our world right now and understand if you're going to live for money, you're the biggest fool in the world. Like, if you can't look across our world right now and, to, and, and to, to see with wisdom, what really matters right now across our world? I mean, what really matters? Is it, is it getting the next best thing? Is it accumulating more stuff for ourselves? To look across our world, man, all I'm seeing is kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of Jesus. I mean, all that matters. There's ever a time to give to the kingdom of God. It's now. I mean, it's now because that's all that matters. I mean, to accumulate things that in the end will just be destroyed and have no value. I mean, it any moment everything could be lost give all you can to the lord while you can right now that's my heart saying so my heart it just makes so much sense to me i mean just look at what's happening but what happens is we're so tunnel vision we're so navel gazers we're so blind in our own little things we can't even look up long enough to look around and say wow the life is bigger than i am there's so much, I'm just saying, if there's ever a time to give for the gospel, to give for the kingdom, I suggest it's today. I suggest it's now for the glory of the Lord because the time will come so soon. Again, again, I'm not making statements, but I, I will not be surprised if this whole thing goes down soon. And at that moment, Jesus returns, you're not caring about the bank account, you're caring about the gospel. That's it. Wisdom knows this. Wisdom knows this. Wisdom reacts to this. Wisdom is changed by this. So here's one of the bottom lines for today. Wisdom and knowledge. And put that statement on knowledge here just because I want to make sure we totally get what's happening here. Here's what knowledge takes away from this message. Knowledge from God's word says this. Knowledge says, I will never win with the love of money. I will never lose with generosity to God's kingdom. That's what the Bible's saying right now. The Bible's saying, here's knowledge. Can't win with love of money, can't lose giving to God's kingdom. It's not wisdom yet, that's just knowledge. That's what the Bible tells us. It's a, it's a, it's a fact. The Bible tells us today, factually, can't win love of money, can't lose with God's kingdom. So wisdom now does this. Wisdom says, I will now live as though this were true. Wisdom applies the knowledge they've been given. And the knowledge is, can't win, can't lose. Wisdom says, I want to win. So I will live and I will change as a result that all that matters is the kingdom of God. Foolishness, though, says this. I hear that, Pastor Robbie. I hear what God's saying, God's word. But in the end, I love money more than I love God. I hate to bottom line it for you this way, but I have to. 
because that's what foolishness does in response to today's message. And you have, you have to be aware of what's actually happening if you say you love Jesus Christ first. If we walk away from this message and we don't let it change us, then we are saying, I've heard what's being said, but in the end, I'm not gonna change because I love money more than I love God. See, we would never say we love money more than God, but what we do with this today will say what we really do love. It is that clear and it is that simple and sometimes it is that scary. See, God's making it so clear for us. It comes down to what do I worship? What do I really love? You cannot serve God and money. I cannot serve God and money. But I appeal to you, loved ones, today, and I end here with the basis of the gospel. The gospel is our foundation for giving. See, wisdom sees the worth found in the gospel. Look at Philippians 3 on the screen here from the Apostle Paul. Here's the secret to the Apostle Paul's life. Before he gave these verses right here, he went through his resume of all the things he had going for him, all the human things that he could boast in. But he says this, whatever gain I had, gain from the world, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So notice this. He's willing to lose everything because he understands where worth truly lies. Indeed, I count everything as loss, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. See, that's what it comes down to. The worth of what? The worth of knowing Christ Jesus. What is that? It's the gospel. When I understand what I have in Jesus Christ, when thanksgiving is about the cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the surpassing worth, when I see Jesus Christ in his glory, what he's done for me, that overcomes all other. It doesn't even, it's not even worth comparing to the treasures of the earth compared to the treasures of Christ. That's why he says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. In the Greek that's dung. More literally it's, Yes, yes it is. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, he loses everything because he's gained everything. He doesn't care about losing all the things because he knows he's gained everything. That is the appeal of the gospel right now. When you see Jesus Christ, when you love Jesus Christ, when you hold Jesus Christ in your life, if you truly, if I truly value him, giving becomes easy. Because at that point, we're giving away that which ultimately is for the Lord anyways. But if we love self and love the world, then the surpassing worth of Christ is hard to find. This is why Paul could do what he did. Literally give his life to the point of death because his worth was in Christ so much. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. What do I value? What do I truly worship? I cannot serve God and money. I cannot serve God and money. It's either one or the other. Who do we truly serve today? I pray we serve the Lord God Almighty and we prove it as we honor him with all aspects of our lives. Let's pray. As always, as always, Father, a hard message but a right message and a message that our world, our society needs so much because so many people, Lord, are being lied to and led astray. Oh God, I pray right now, I pray right now that as I try to indicate so much, Lord, as these messages of truth come down, I pray there also be a, a wonderful abundance of grace as well. That Jesus, what, what do you want as, as, as if you need our money? as if you need that when you own everything anyways, but what you do want is our hearts. And where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So that's why you care so much. 
because you want the hearts of your people. When you have the hearts of your people, Lord, then you receive the most glory and the gospel goes forth with the most power and the urgency of the church is most clearly seen. So I pray, Lord, as we understand, we cannot serve God in money. For some of us right now, Lord, it's, it's Lord, I repent. God, my sin, I see it and I hate it. Lord, I have been living for money. I have been living for things. I have loved them more than you. Oh, God, forgive me. And he will, he will love once. If you call to him right now, if you call to him right now and you are sincere, the, the grace and forgiveness of God will rush upon you. Please know that. You cannot exhaust his love. Appeal to the gospel today too. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, you hold surpassing worth. I have not seen it, now I see it. I run to you. I confess that to you. You are the one of all the value. One day the, the trump will sound so soon, oh God, you will return. Riding on the clouds, Lord, I will look up and my bank account will be diminished completely and all I will see is the value and the glory of you. So Jesus, help me to live in that truth what the future will hold today. Help me to live as though that were true right now. God, help me to believe that as I suffer the loss of all things, if it's for the sake of Jesus Christ, it is so worth it. That generosity will be seen in, in this church and in the families and the individuals who call this church their home. They would delight, Lord. It is just the freedom and the blessing of smashing idols and exalting Jesus Christ. Because in the end, again, Jesus, you, you are worth it all. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. May our hearts turn to you, Lord. Give us wisdom and change our lives through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song here.